Uh, how many of you, and I saw a few that, that actually happened. How many of you, your, your dream came true, which you wanted to be in 12, you're doing that today? Anybody? Good. Cammy, what is it? Missionary. Missionary. Anybody else want to share what you dreamed when you were 12, you're, happy, you're making it happen today? Yeah. Yeah, did you see Rand, Randy's was the one? I'm kind of scared because you couldn't read it. It was so small, bulldozer. But yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? The dream? I know Jim Graham, policeman. Anyone else? That's your dream? came true. Yes. Nurse. Okay. Uh, when I was 12, um, I was going to play uh, center field for the St. Louis Cardinals, and, um, and that dream lasted until I was 15. And um, my mom, interestingly enough, would not let me mow the yard because she had all these flowers. She would not let me near the yard. And so I always felt guilty about that. And so one day she came in, and I said, why don't you let me mow the yard? She goes, we've been through this before. You'll ruin the yard. You mean? And I said, so here's the deal, Mom. I'm going to play center field for St. Louis Cardinals, and the first thing I'm going to do, AstroTurf. You know, I was giving her a dream, something to look forward to. All of us have these dreams when we're kids, and some of us to the point that we used to spend hours and hours daydreaming. And I was really good at that. If they would have given a grade for daydreaming, I would have made straight A's because I was always dreaming about potentially where I could be and what I could do. Maybe some of you remember those dreams when you're sitting in school. And at the center of every dream, honestly, when I daydream, I was in the center of every one of those. You know, the game-winning shot, state championship, and they would, you know, my name, Robertson. You know, the cheerleaders from the other team carried me off. You know, I used to have these amazing days, and so did you. But here's what happened as I grew older, hopefully, and I matured a little bit, is I realized that God really didn't want me dreaming just what I wanted. He wanted so much more out of me than that. And here's the other thing I found out. I think the word dream really is overemphasized in our world today. And what, I know what you're thinking right now. What a killjoy. You know, today's theme is things that keep you up at night, and it's shattered dreams. Boy, isn't that a great way to go this morning? Shattered dreams. But I thought about the word dream and I want you to put that word dream in perspective. For example, a lot of the girls here, I guarantee you dreamed of the perfect wedding. Raise your hand if you dreamed of the perfect wedding. Yeah, how'd that go? Okay. <laughs> now, here's, here's how crazy it's getting, and I'm going to step on a few toes. My daughter, uh, Rachel, my oldest daughter, got married last spring, so I can identify with this, uh, and that's why I, I drive a PT Cruiser. But anyway, um, <laughs> the average wedding in Monroe County... Anybody want to guess? Between sixteen dollars and $27,000. That's Monroe County. That's not New York. That's Indiana. So here's what I ask about that dream. Does a dream wedding make a dream marriage? Can I have an amen on that? Well, I'm glad you feel that way because it, it doesn't always lead that way, does it? How about this? If I could just have a dream home. In 1974, the average square footage of a home, 1,700 feet. 2014, it's almost 2,400 square feet. Why? Because everybody's like, if I can just dream bigger and build bigger, then life will be better. How about the dream job? Is there really a dream job? The average American works 12 jobs in their lifetime. So much for the dream job. And there's even a dream sickle. Maybe some of you have the dream popsicle. Anybody ever taste that? It's really good. Matter of fact, speaking of popsicles, I heard about a, a really... <laughs> Cheap dad, this is the cheapest dad I've ever heard. He told all his kids, when you hear that bell ring on the ice cream truck, 
That means they're out of ice cream. That, that's a bad dad. Wow. There's a dad living the dream right there. Now, I love this quote, and, and I want to share it with you and, uh, because I, I just think it is so powerful. It says, we are all inventors, each sailing out on a voyage, a discovery, guided each by a private chart, which there is no duplicate. The world is all opportunities. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Now, here's why I love that quote. See, I believe that we've overused the word dream, and I believe that life is more than just pursuing individual dreams. Life is passionately pursuing God and on that voyage learning to be content and living in joy. It isn't about pursuing a dream. It's about pursuing God. And you know what God does? God will bring things in your life that you'll look back and go, I cannot believe what doors God just opened. And you know what happens? We start striving to live that day out, day after day after day, content and with joy. Let me share with you one of the most, I think, misrepresented scriptures in the entire Bible, and it's Philippians 4, 13. Everybody knows that. You can probably say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You've probably seen that on several t-shirts. Here's why that verse is abused. It's all about I. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not at all what that verse means. If you back up to verse 12, he says this, and I love this. He says, uh, first of all, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Then he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Do you see the difference? Paul said, here's what I've learned about life. It isn't about chasing dreams. I've learned that every day is a surprise, and I've learned what it is to be hungry, and I know what it is to be well-fed, and I have strived to be content in Christ, and that seems impossible. But you know what? It is possible because of Jesus Christ. Huge difference. Some of us have spent our whole life pursuing dreams and not pursuing God. So this morning, I thought about what it's like to go on this voyage of pursuing God, and I want you to turn over to Acts 27, because it's an amazing story. You've heard it, I'm sure, many times. Paul is uh, with a group of men, and he is setting out on an amazing voyage. It's the fall of the year, and uh, it's very, very detailed, so we're not going to have a chance to get through all the layers of this story, but I definitely believe there's some life lessons to be uh, learned from this amazing story. Life lesson number one is simply this. It is not if, it's when the storms in life roll in. Let's look at Acts 27 and pick it up in verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the fast. And when it says the fast, that basically is the Yom Kippur that you hear of. It means it's the fall of the year. So as you know, if you're sailing in the fall of the year, it's already dangerous, okay? So that's why he's saying that's important. And here's what Paul says in verse 10. Men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. It's going to bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to your own lives. 
But the centurion, instead of listening to me, Paul, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. You know Paul's saying? There is a major storm coming. Now, I've been praying, and I'm telling you, you do not want to push off right now. I know there's a lot of cargo. I know you're thinking profit, but I'm telling you right now, you don't go into this because there's a storm coming. Now, that's a valuable life lesson because all of us, all of us know in life that there's always a potential storm coming. Would you agree with me on that? And the older you get, the more you realize just how quickly life can change. Paul and the others, they were heading out for Italy. And it's interesting that there was a man named Julius that believed in Paul. And we'll see later on, gives Paul quite a bit of freedom. It was the fall of the year. There were 276 men on this ship. And so they go right into the teeth of the storm. And storms teach us a lot. Years ago, John F. Kennedy, when he was running for president, was also a World War II hero. And uh, you know how sometimes the media, they're just brilliant. And so they asked this question to John F. Kennedy. Uh, He was asked how he became a World War II hero. And Kennedy simply replied, they shot down my ship. I didn't set out to be a war hero. They shot down my ship. None of us set out to be heroes. None of us set out when these storms in life roll in to be a hero. Honestly, when those storms in life roll in, what's our first thought? I just want to survive. I mean, I want to get through this. But the key is, are we prepared? And do we realize God's with us every step of the way? Mentioning John F. Kennedy, if you were to go to his library, you'd see they have his desk when he was president. And there's this this really unique uh, item that was on his desk. And it was actually a section of a coconut from that island where he thought he was going to lose his life. And it was a reminder of God's providence. So let me ask you a question. What is in your office, what is in your life, an item that reminds you of the providence of God? And if you don't have an item like that, I really want you to strive to get an item like that. There may be a holy spot where you experience the providence of God. And when you're really down, I encourage you to go to those spots. If you go in my office, uh, you're going to think, first of all, that I'm eclectic. My daughter will tell you that. Nothing makes sense, no color coordination, and there's these really strange items all around my office. But those items are all reminders of the providence of God. I've got a couple of really strange rocks on my desk, and those rocks don't mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. We all need things in our life that draw us to the fact that God is with us during the storms, and are we prepared? Because preparation is critical. Some of you have been through Dave Ramsey training. Uh, if, you, if you've never been through it, you hear him. He's on 1370 every day on the radio. Uh, but it's interesting. Here's what Ramsey recommends. He, he has these baby steps. I just want to share the first three but there's a, because there's a common thread. He said, if you're financially going through a burden, number one, start a $1,000 emergency fund. Number two, start the snowball debt reduction, which is take your smallest debt, pay it off, move that money towards the next debt, you know, and that, that, that's, that's encouraging because that will take the rest of our lives. So anyway, we get to that. But he said, then build up and expand on your emergency fund and ask yourselves, if I were laid off or I lost my job for the next three to six months, what would it take to get by? Now, here's why he says to set your finances up that way. 
it will rain and you need an umbrella. Now think of how that applies to every one of our lives, not just financially. The storms are going to come. Are we prepared? In the New Testament, 20 times we read the word prepare. Now I got to be honest, I was spoiled. And when it comes to being prepared, uh, you've heard this before. I was the youngest of seven. My mom was 42 when I was born. Uh, gray hair. from I can never remember my mom with anything but white hair. And uh, she was uh, raised and was married and had all these kids, uh, many of them, through the Depression. How many of you uh, either remember the Depression or have friends or family that went through the Depression? Raise your hand if you know. Okay, we should all be raising our hand. We know somebody. So here's a couple things being raised by a mother going through the Depression. Number one, you don't waste anything. Remember, I don't even remember my friends that had a garbage disposal. We didn't throw anything away. My mom, if you looked in her refrigerator, it was almost embarrassing. Every little container, and I'd go, what's in that? And she'd go, I don't know, you know, but I'm not throwing that away. If there was a bite of cottage cheese, she saved it. We don't throw stuff away, okay, which goes with the whole idea of never, you know, leave anything on your plate. I mean, you live with that? Yeah, that's why I'm fat. Okay, I thank my mom, okay? And here was the second thing, which I love. You always build up and you stockpile the basics, you would have thought we were being bombed the next day because you'd open up the cabinet. And I'm like, Mom, do we need 73 cans of bean with bacon soup or whatever it was? And she goes, oh, they were running a sale. You know, I'm stockpiling. Now, that was in her mind, but you know what? That really did, throughout my life, I realized, boy, those are valuable lessons that we should always be prepared. It's not living in fear, but it's just saying, are you pursuing God and are you prepared for the storms in life, because the bottom line is, they're coming. They're coming. The second life lesson from this text is simply this. Most of life is lived according to plan B. If you pick up verses 21 through 27, notice what it says about this storm that Paul is selling into. After the men had gone for a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, I love this. Men, you should have taken my advice. But you have sailed for Crete, and then you would have spared yourself the damage and the loss. Now look at verse 24. Do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously giving you the lives of all those who sail with you. Keep courage, men, for I have faith in God. Isn't that awesome? They haven't eaten. They're, they're terrified. And Paul is basically saying, guess what? You are living plan B. Did you honestly think when I already told you we were going into the teeth of the storm that everything was going to play out and everything was going to work out? Guess what? Life is not lived according to plan A. It is lived according to plan B. How many of you have already experienced plan B in your life? Anyone? This week even, I guarantee you that you had something planned, and next thing you know, that plan was completely changed. Plan Bs are where we live. How do you handle plan B living? Well, let me explain what I think plan B is. There's a, there's a word for it, and it's the word accidents. Let me share the definition of accidents, and we've got it coming up here. An accident is an unforeseen, unplanned event or circumstance. An unforeseen, unplanned event or circumstance. Now, I mentioned that I'm the youngest of seven. 
and my youngest sister, my next sister's nine years old, I'm guessing I was an unforeseen, unplanned event or circumstance. Now, my mom said I was God's gracious gift. <laughs> okay, mom, you know. All of us know what it's like in life to live and work through plan B's, accidents. Now, there are minor accidents. Uh, those are those things, they're frustrating. They cost us a day, maybe a week. Uh, but we look back and we can actually laugh about some of these accidents. Um, Ken Heatley, I thought about him this morning. Ken uh, works with insurance. And, and so these are actual insurance claims, okay? And I love this. So these are some of the written claims that people turn in after an accident. Here's the first one. I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. That's hard to do. In an attempt, here's another. In an attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. That's a bad day. This one sounds very painful. I was on my way to the doctor with the rear end trouble when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. That does sound painful. Here's a sad one. The pedestrian had no idea which way to run, so I ran over him. <laughs> Here's my favorite one. Ready? Here we go. Uh, this is good. The indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> That's awesome. All of us can relate to those kind of accidents. And, and honestly, those are the times when you're sitting around with the family, and it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you start retelling all of the stories you've told years and years and years, and those accidents actually are good things in life. Those are the things you look back and say, I can't believe the boneheaded thing I did, or I, I can't believe this situation. And really, honestly, sometimes that's the spice of life. But then there's other accidents. These are the ones that completely rock our world. These are the ones, like Tony said, when you'd say, I don't understand. It's interesting, in Luke 13, 4, Jesus is asked an interesting question. In Luke 13, 4, there was a tragedy in the region where a tower, it was called the, the Tower of Siloam, fell and it killed 18 people. And they said, Jesus, we don't understand. I mean, did that tower fall on them because there was some evil in their past? Was it because of their families? Was it negligence? And Jesus says, that's what happens. Life has uncertainties. Jesus is saying, you know what? There are plan B moments in life, and they will completely knock you down, and you are just gasping, trying to survive. And here's the sad truth. If all of us were honest, we've had those moments too. Man, we've had those moments when something unforeseen completely completely changes our life. The phrase you hear a lot today is the new normal. We all have to experience the new normal. You think of the shootings in Oregon, you think of the flood in Charleston, and we could go on and on and on of people who are facing something that is so extreme and out of the blue, and it's just eating them up inside because they are living through plan B. But you know what an accident does? An accident clarifies our priorities. I tell you, I cannot tell you how many times in the ministry that I've gone to visit somebody in the hospital, especially men, and uh, their entire world has been rocked usually, and they'll just say, you know what, I've realized this is the only thing that matters, or these are the only things that matter. And in the storms in life, I mean the devastating storms, 
when there's a new normal, that's what happens. The things that we thought mattered, all of a sudden, they don't matter anymore. That dream car, that dream home, guess what? None of that matters anymore. What matters is the people who love you most. And I hate to say that, but sometimes that's what an accident does. It causes us to clarify our priorities. Maybe some of you right now are struggling with your priorities. And the sad truth is maybe it takes something to rock your world to realize, man, I just don't have my act together, and I'm not putting the people that matter most in my life where they need to be. Life lesson number three is simply this. We all have an anchor of hope. In Acts 27, verses 27 through 29, as this uh, powerful story uh, begins to conclude, the men have been sailing, their lives have been spared, and Paul is uh, brilliantly going back into their lives, and he's saying there's just so much more that we can do. If you'll understand this one thing, your life has been spared. And they dropped the anchors, and I love this. It says, and when they dropped the anchors, they just prayed through the entire evening. And I guarantee this, some of you had moments in your life when that's all you could possibly do. There was nothing else you could do. You just dropped the anchor and you just held on. And you said, God, I've got nothing else. I'm just holding on to you. And here's the powerful truth. The anchor always holds. Always. In Hebrews is this powerful text And I want us to read this together from Hebrews. If we can pull it up. Let's read this together. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We have this anchor of hope. Now, I want you to think about the power of that verse. And when you're going through the storms of life, and you're at that point where you're just holding on, you just remember this. The anchor holds. It always holds. You just need to surrender to Christ and give him the deepest pains in your life. The anchor always holds. Years ago, I was reading a book by Max Lucado, and he shared this story, and uh, it has, it's been one of those for years and years has run through my mind about God always being there. It was an older gentleman, and uh, he was battling cancer, and he was in the hospital, and his kids and his wife, of course, were with him uh, through the whole thing. And one day, uh, one of the kids, his kids said, you know, Dad, uh, through this whole thing, I, I just can't believe how strong you are, and what happens when we're not here? Like when we leave the room and Mom has to finally go home, what do you do? And the dad said, well, I'm never alone. And he said, well, sure you are. I mean, maybe the nurses, but yeah, you're alone. He said, no, no, no. I want you to look next to me. Do you see that chair? He says, you kids are going to think I'm crazy, but I picture Jesus in that chair. I, I talk to him, and I, I sometimes I just cry, and I ask him why, but he's always there. He's always there. And they couldn't believe their dad was that strong. And this went on for several months, and then finally the wife, had, just like so many wives, went home to try to just get a few hours sleep, and she got the phone call. And she said, we hate to tell you this, we know you desperately wanted to be here, uh, but he died very peacefully, uh, and she says, I'll be there right away. And the nurse said, before you come in, I've got a question to ask. And she said, well, what, 
What's the question? He said, the strangest thing when your husband passed away. And she said, well, did he die in his sleep? She goes, no. She said, he got out of bed, and we found him laying in that chair. And I've never forgot that word picture. It was as if he was saying, I'm going to crawl in the lap of Jesus, and he's going to take me home. Even when it gets so hard in life that that's the last breath that we have, what a great breath that we can say the anchor holds. That no matter how hard life gets and how brutal the storms that come, the storms that are unexpected, the storms that just completely knock us down, no matter how hard it gets, the anchor holds. Even to the bitter end, it holds. Folks, I got to tell you, that makes all the difference in the world. Tony had mentioned this family, and and, uh, it's just terrible. Uh, This this gentleman was with his daughter and died in this plane crash, and and uh, 1.30 this afternoon, I appreciate your prayers. I'm, I'm meeting with the family. And, and I'll be honest, as a minister, these are the hardest moments in my life. And you know what I'm going to share at the end of it all? I don't understand it, but I know one thing. The anchor holds. The anchor holds. Some of you this morning are probably battling some storms, and it took everything in you just to get here today. And I know that. And so I'm just thankful that you came here this morning. For some of you, you have friends that are going through terrible storms in their life right now. That they're beyond just living through plan B. They're just trying to get through. So I want you to know that our hearts are with them too. And I want you to know, just like every Sunday, we're not just issuing an invitation for those who need Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're saying, if you're hurting, we want to be here for you. That's why we have a prayer room. That's why we have leaders that are here just to pray with you. So I'm asking Tony, if you'll come up. And we're going to sing our invitation hymn. And it's just a time for us to lift up a praise for Jesus Christ, who is our anchor. Let's stand and sing.